listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. Welcome to another episode brought to you, of course, by the Silver Screen and Roll.com podcast network. We got you covered with new shows coming out Monday through Friday. So don't forget, subscribe to our podcast network. You can check us out on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it, we are there. And of course, go to silverscreenandroll.com. We got you covered for instant analysis, news, opinions, you name it. We got it. Harrison, Anthony, and the crew always working hard to bring you the very latest from Lakerland. Now, recording this on a Sunday, early August, but the news never stops here in LA, especially when it comes to the Lakers. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to see, NBA insiders started leaking out some scheduled details. Uh, looking like Lakers will play the Clippers opening night, which is expected to be Tuesday, October 22nd. And then the two teams will link back up again on Christmas for the main event of that day. Uh, as you know, the NBA, when you're trying to avoid spending time with your family or you spent about five, six hours with them in the morning, you need to get away. No better option than to go to the TV and put on some good basketball. Also, Shams tweeted out, uh, Anthony Davis makes his return to New Orleans November 27th. That's a Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. Interesting to see as well. Kyrie and the Nets scheduled to be in Boston that day too. So expect that to be your doubleheader on TNT. Now joining me today, always nice to have a Canadian on with me uh, from back home. Sometime NBA assistant coach. This is his bio, NBA skills coach. He's also a contributor to Global TV. Sportsnet 650, and also wrote for SB Nation, which, of course, this podcast network is a part of. Uh, Doug Eberhardt. Doug, how you doing, my man? Good, good, good. Thank you for having me on. And uh, if I didn't know any better, I'd be really impressed by my bio. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you've, you've done quite a bit. Now, you mentioned yourself being sometime NBA assistant coach. How, how, how has that been for you, and what, what was that like? It's uh, It's been great. It's something I've been uh, working on. I've and I had a late in, late in life realization that uh, that is what I wanted to do. And I've had an opportunity to work with the, the New York Knicks as a uh, summer league and training camp coach and then do some time with individual players there. The same with the Memphis Grizzlies. And then over uh, the last couple of years, I've had an opportunity to uh, sit in with the Houston Rockets and work with some of their players individually. So it's Something I, I greatly enjoy and uh, keeps me keeps me active, as they say, and uh, keeps me pretty in tune with what's going on in uh, in the NBA. So it's something. Hopefully, uh, I tell people I, I've got my little pinky toe in the door, and hopefully, at some point, I can get the rest of my foot in the door for uh, an NBA job. When you when you look at kind of the Canadian impact on on the uh, on the NBA, and you look at I me, mean, obviously Jay Triano, that was that was a huge moment for for us for for Canadians in general. Um, when you look at the future of it, and you know we have the FIBA World Cup coming up later this month as well, how has how has the NBA grown in, in Canada specifically? I know the Raptors th- this run was was covered like more than than basketball has been at any other point I, I would say in my lifetime other than maybe the 2000 Olympics when when Steve Nash uh, carried the team Canada they finished seventh I believe but they had a great um, round robin there going undefeated but when you look at there's just, just the game as a whole in, in Canada uh, how much has it grown over the last 10-15 years in your opinion? Oh, the, the growth has been unbelievable and uh, as you mentioned the Raptors run this year obviously getting a, a huge amount of coverage nationally and uh for you know your audience in southern california and across the u.s for the rest of the country to cheer for toronto uh, in any sport is uh, quite something and uh toronto's toronto's not looked on 
very kindly outside the greater Toronto area <laughs> for the most for the most part. And to see people get excited for the Raptors run and then obviously their championship and and how they played as a team, I, I thought was amazing. And we'll have nothing that long term benefits for Canadian basketball in terms of both coverage of the game and interest. Now, in the last 10 to 15 years, with uh, kind of the, the first generation of kids that grew up with Vince Carter in Toronto, uh, especially players from the Toronto area, those are the guys you now see coming into the NBA. Those are the guys you now see filling rosters of uh, NCAA teams. And as well, the, the Canadian equivalent of the NCAA is called U-Sports, formerly called the CIS, Canadian uh, intercollegiate, scholastic, etc. Uh, the level of play of those players and the depth of players from a small population base, when you uh, when you look at it up here in the Great White North, it, it's been quite phenomenal. And obviously, in, where I am in Vancouver and BC, the success of of Steve Nash as dual MVPs, the style of play of those Phoenix teams that he led. Uh, you had players like former Laker Rob Sachary, who just retired in Japan. You have Kelly Olenek. You have now younger players coming in. Brandon Clark, who I think is going to be quite a sleeper find for uh, for Memphis. Uh, although he, he grew up down in the States, obviously he was born here in Vancouver. So you have players like that that have been affected by whether it's the Raptors in the Vince Carter era you have the modern Raptors with the younger kids. And then you have the uh, some of the stars from out west here has done nothing but push Canadian basketball higher and higher. And it'll be fascinating to see the world championships, I guess, will be a, a small litmus test. But for Canadian basketball, kind of down the road, the Tokyo Olympics and then further on is where I think you'll see the Canadian basketball team truly compete at the highest level uh, as a result of uh, the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah, that it's been it's been great to see kind of the boom that that we've seen with the NBA, the talent coming in, and I think that that's been fun too as a Canadian. Just to give some people some context, it basically how how Doug was mentioning there that uh, cheering for for Toronto and the Raptors, it, it's like people cheering all the country of America go, getting behind the Yankees in baseball or the Lakers in basketball teams that you probably would never want to cheer for in the regular season, but once they kind of got there, kind of galvanized everybody. So that's your that's your equivalent. Now I want to get back into the scheduling details. No, no big surprise. The the league is going to be focusing on the Lakers and Clippers. Uh, first time it's been a real rivalry in in history where both the teams are expected to be championship contenders when, when you when you look at, at you know how how the game is now and 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 this is really the first time and and I would say since 2015 because although everybody expected the Warriors to be good that season I don't think anybody foresaw the the dynasty that that it would kind of set that that first championship um first time now we're seeing it that hey man you don't know who's gonna win the NBA championship this year it's uh, it's up in the air but when you look in the Lakers and Clippers in your opinion which roster stands out to you as being a little bit better well, uh, before we even get to the roster composition, I'm just going to say uh, on the scheduling side of it, I, I am actually quite disappointed that the NBA decided to schedule opening night with Lakers and Clippers. As that's an opening night, either one of those teams individually was going to draw a huge audience. And uh, with Paul George probably not ready to go, I, I think that's a little disappointing in terms of the initial matchup. I, I would have loved to see them play actually 
the Christmas game, which was a, a no-brainer. And then later in the season, um, schedule the games even in a back-to-back situation where you truly pressurize and accentuate the rivalry as opposed to uh, opening night where both teams, like I said, we're going to draw huge audiences and the entrance is going to be uh, out the roof in terms of both teams. So that was a little disappointing to me. Now, to to get back to your actual question, as far as roster composition, et cetera, who, who am I looking at as the better team right now? I would actually have to say the Clippers. Um, even even with Paul George not going to be a, 100% right away, I, I would say overall the Clippers to me defensively are, are going to be such a, a wall for teams to get through with the strength on the wings, with Patrick Beverly on the ball. They obviously, they don't have quite the rim protection that the Lakers have um, with uh, even JaVale and, and Anthony Davis. But I think overall, I, I like the Clippers roster at this point a little bit better. Uh, now we'll have to see with the Lakers and all the veteran signings they've made, the way they fit with LeBron, especially after last year's, let's sign a bunch of ball handlers who can't shoot. This this year, even someone as simple as a, a free agent signing of a Troy Daniels, who may not necessarily get huge amounts of playing time at certain times, will be situational, but is a guy who literally can knock the uh, knock the ball down from wherever and is going to get open look after open look as a result of both Anthony Davis and LeBron, especially handling the ball. So signings like Troy Daniels and uh, Dudley, guys that uh, guys that can bring a, a very niche skill set, um, I think is the way to go with LeBron and past history in Cleveland and Miami. I showed that as well. So the, the Lakers roster obviously much improved, but at this point I would still lean towards the Clippers in terms of the uh, overall roster strength. Yeah, I, I think one guy on the Clippers who's going to have a breakout season is, is Landry Shamet. I mean, I love the way he played last year. He, he's a he's a pretty good defender. He's a great three-point shooter. Uh, he's a guy I'm interested to in seeing if he takes a leap or maybe it goes through the sophomore struggles too. We'll, we'll see with that. But, you know, getting back to the Lakers, you mentioned that the roster, it's funny, like last season at this or last year at this time, we were talking ourselves into Michael Beasley being a legitimate threat. You know what I mean? So they're, they're, they're much deeper now uh, with, with, with some of the veteran guys that they have. Now, when you, I also mentioned off the top there, Anthony Davis going back to New Orleans, November 27th, when you look at that Pelicans team and, and how it was constructed, are they not going to be the league pass darlings of this season? I would totally agree with that. I think pretty much <laughs> everyone already has the has that bookmarked for league pass just because it, it helps too. All those young guys, uh, the ability to play above the rim with Zion and others, um, the ability of uh, Mr. Ball to throw those lob passes. You know, I, I think people envision a Lob City 2.0 in New Orleans. Now, combine that with uh, Alvin Gentry has had that team play fast, like really fast the last couple of seasons. This team will play even faster. And the way General Manager David Griffith has talked about them as well, that they may play at the quickest pace. Uh, that the NBA has seen in uh, literally decades. All of that 
goes towards being very entertaining. Now, obviously, they're going to struggle in the wins and losses department just with their their youth, with coming together, with building up uh, both the chemistry and skill set of all those young players. But uh, while they do that, they could very well be the most entertaining team we've seen in quite a while. I th- I think they'll be they'll, they'll struggle out the gate, and then you know towards the end of the year they'll have a nice twenty twenty five game stretch. Maybe you know they go seventeen and eight or something like that, kind of getting the the juices flowing and getting ready for for the following season. Because I mean I, I'm with you too, and I think that uh, all things being considered, if if Brandon Ingram is is completely healthy and, and he's kind of over the uh, the illness that he had, and he'll be uh, he'll be a factor too. I mean he, the way he was playing before he got. Um, sick and, and and it was out of it. Uh, he was he was a machine. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to a full season of Lonzo. He's going to have the chance to actually train uh, this off season and and be fully committed to it. So that's going to be interesting. And and it, I think a lot of the sentiment here in 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 Lakerland is people want to see those guys do well, like Josh Harden and and, uh, and the rest of them. So that that'll be an interesting tidbit too. When when Anthony Davis does get back there on that day, he's going to get booed out of the gym. Do you agree with that? Well, he's he's one of many players I think that are going to get booed out of the gym this uh, this coming coming season. He uh, he he will be at the top of the list. I would imagine him and Kyrie will take the uh, the loudest boos. Now, given that uh, AD's boos will happen in New Orleans and Kyrie's boos will happen in Boston, I, I would put my money on the decimeter, as it were, in Boston. Oh, yeah. New Orleans, but uh, <laughs> there's there's any number of guys that are are going to get booed something fierce uh, to start this season. How how do you, how do you think uh, Toronto will react to Kawhi? I was actually thinking that too. I'm like, it's 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 a weird, you know, slippery slope with that because you look at the fact he was there for a year. And the Kawhi topic still pretty sensitive with Lakers fans. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that right now. But uh, uh, you know. He bought the team and he bought the city, bought the country, a championship, NBA championship, which I think a lot of people didn't even think w- was going to be possible, um, especially during the dark ages after after Chris Bosh had had originally left and Andrea Bargnani was was kind of the hope for for, for the team. Um, how, how do you think the fans will respond to him when he makes his return to Toronto? I, I think the response will be very positive, actually. Uh, you know, the, there'll be a, a few folks a few knuckleheads that uh, may pop off, may boo, whatever. But overall, I, I think the response will be outstanding. And even though it was only one year, and yes, I, I'm sure he broke a certain segment of the fan base's hearts by uh, by not coming back to defend the the overall positives, the way he played, um, his response to the city upon coming there all those things were extremely positive and uh, i imagine he'll be uh, he'll be treated for the most part with uh, appreciation and kindness which is uh, saying saying a lot after uh, after bolting after the one year but you you have that championship window i think that goes for a few years in terms of positive reaction and overall i think Kauai will be uh, will be treated quite well by the fans upon his return to Toronto. So the opposite of what Dwight Howard was treated like when, when he came back after a single season here in LA. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, I, I think it'll, it'll be the opposite for the most part of most acrimonious partings with uh, players and teams, regardless <laughs> of, uh, of where it happens. Uh, for the most part, like I said, I think the uh, the overall reception for Kawhi will be uh, will be pretty pretty kind and positive. 
I want to I want to jump into uh, some more details on Anthony Davis. Uh, just just about some comments that Frank Vogel made, and uh, Harrison wrote about that this morning on SilverScreenAndRoll.com. We'll jump into that after this short break. And we are back. So uh, Harrison referenced uh, the Frank Vogel interview with Chris Mannix of, of Sports Illustrated, where, and I'm quoting here, uh, Vogel saying that Anthony Davis will be a major focal point, one of the best players in the league. Got to agree with him there. He'll be involved in every way that I could possibly use him. Uh, offensively, he's got the ability to play the four or the five and, and stretch the floor from the three-point line. When you look at the dynamic between Anthony Davis and, and LeBron, how do you think they're going to fit side by side with each other? And looking at it from a, from a coaching lens, like how, how would you try and maximize their skill set? And what type of offense would you run with those two on, on the court and being the primary focal points of, of what your team does on the offensive end? It's an interesting dilemma because uh, you you have you know one of the most ball dominant superstars in the history of the game in LeBron, and not ball dominant in a uh, in a bad way. Just that uh, if he's on the court, you need LeBron handling the ball and making decisions. And you have Anthony Davis as a player, I think, that fits perfect, even though he is a, a top talent in the league and has been a dominant scorer in New Orleans. He's actually a guy that doesn't need the ball in terms of uh, constant ball handling or facing up, etc. He He can score off of the glass. He can score off of the roll. He can obviously hit the, hit the jumper all the way out to three. So the variety of ways that AD can score, I think, fits perfectly with what you want to do with LeBron. And then add in the spacing with uh, the various shooters, in, in, unless you have Rondo out there, um, you know, you'll, you'll be using, the, using AD in a different way. But uh, something as simple as... LeBron AD pick and rolls to start off with, you know, how as a defense are you going to play that? Now, chances are you're going to slide under and force LeBron to be a jump shooter, which has always been the game plan. But uh, LeBron has improved in that area dramatically over his career. Uh, and uh, that may be something to consider. Now, another area how much post-up is Frank Vogel going to use? And I've heard rumors that he's looking that the Lakers might post up the most of any team over the last number of years, given the change in the style of play. So how many straight post-ups are you going to run for LeBron? How many straight post-ups are you going to run for AD? And then you have other players on that roster that uh, you know potentially – can post up as well. So how do you how do you figure that into your offensive flow? Are you going to use post ups as passing opportunities as rather than penetrate and kick? You're using post ups for both of those players to gain open shots on the weak side for these new shooters you've corralled onto your roster. So how much will Frank Vogel institute post ups for try to straight up score in ISO? and more importantly, create looks for others. So those, those are the two main pillars, I think, with those two players and the states they're at in their career. You know, LeBron, well, his, uh, his body is uh, still, I think, mid-20s form when he's healthy. At his age, how much of a pounding can he take and uh, how much do you want him working off the dribble and now how much do you want him getting into a uh, Michael Jordan post-up situation late in his career. So that, that's going to be another decision to make. 
uh, I think the other offensive decision with those two type of players, how much motion or false motion do you run with other guys to get uh, two-man games for AD and LeBron, whether they're working together or with others? How much, uh, how much movement are you using on the other side of the floor? Or are you looking at getting players to positions where they can catch and shoot and limiting movement? So all of those type of decisions offensively for Frank Vogel are, are going to be very important. Now, how would I use AD and LeBron? I, I haven't really founded or decided in terms of if I was working it, kind of what I would do. Because uh, AD, I want catching the ball on the move, especially whether it's uh, out at the three-point line uh, where he can use his advantage, uh, especially on switches to back guys down, whether he can use his advantage and speed to blow by big guys on pops, or whether he's catching the ball on the move. He hasn't had to make decisions uh, catching the ball on the move as a roller a great deal in New Orleans. He improved in that area in terms of short rolling and hitting shooters, but that's something that if L.A. chooses to run a lot of pick and roll with Anthony Davis as the roller, he's going to need to make decisions quicker and be able to uh, do a better job, or at least that's something he hasn't done in the past. He'll have to continue to learn how to how to pass and then use that to his advantage as a roller. So those are all things I think Frank Vogel needs to consider offensively. When you when you look at the pace that this team is going to going to play at, now obviously you know you you've seen it firsthand too, like the 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 change in the NBA from being a big man centric dominated game. I mean you remember that 2010 NBA finals between the the Celtics and and the Lakers where the you know the games were mucky and all about defense and you were having you know scores in the 80s which those days feel like they were an eternity ago and I, I was trying to look at okay how is Frank Vogel not known to be an offensive mastermind by enemies d- during his stops in in Indiana although that team was 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 very good I mean took the heat to the limit a couple of times with with LeBron and, and D Wade and Bosch, but uh, his his stint in Orlando was was call it what it is. It was a disaster. Um, when you're looking at how this team is going to have to play on the offensive end in terms of pushing the pace because of the age, and I know it's kind of weird saying this, but the lack of athleticism, I would say, after AD and 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 LeBron, are, is this team going to be more like you know walk it up and like you mentioned, try and slow the game down a bit to to maximize. Uh, where they have the advantages and in terms of posting up. And I think Boogie Cousins is is, going to have a big say in in the offense as well when when all things are said and done. But is it going to be a team that that focuses on playing a little bit slower and and keeping the score maybe in, you know, 105 to 110 range? Because this team can't be scoring, you know, above 115, 120, because defensively, I think that's going to be the weak point. I think everybody agrees that the Lakers on the defensive end, uh, Frank Vogel is going to have to scheme up something pretty good. Yeah. Uh, you know, every coach in the league uh, at the beginning of the year or in the offseason, whatever, all say that they want to play with more pace. But uh, it's so dependent in the NBA. The pace you play at basically is based on the pace that your best player plays at. And with L.A., the pace they will play at is based on LeBron. Uh, if there's one thing I've learned, especially dealing with the Houston Rockets, uh, Mike D'Antoni would – love to play at a faster pace, but they play at James Harden's pace because that's what's best for the team. And with the Lakers playing at LeBron's pace, whatever he decides that evening, that's going to be the best pace for the Lakers to play. So I would imagine that they will be in the bottom third 
of uh, how fast they play in the league. Um, somewhere around 20, I would guess, because the, you know, the bench unit will be able to play at a little faster pace. And uh, as I mentioned, one of Frank Vogel's big decisions is uh, how much will we post up and how will we use post ups? Now you, you measured, you mentioned, sorry, uh, Boogie Cousins. Now how healthy is he going to be going into the beginning of the season? How will he have responded to his rehabilitation from his two injuries, uh, you know, his catastrophic injury from New Orleans and then his smaller injury from the playoffs last year with Golden State, because that obviously is another option, but it's also an option that uh, slows the pace of your game down and accentuates his post-up ability, his shooting and his passing ability, which is, again, I think LA will use post-ups as a passing opportunity whether it's for Cousins, whether it's for AD, whether it's for LeBron. So uh, I don't believe the Lakers will play fast. I don't believe it's in their interest to play fast, given their roster. And uh, again, you, you play at the pace of your best player. And LeBron, regardless, is still the best player, to me, for the Lakers. Oh, yeah. And I, I agree with that, too. I think maybe a year or two from now, maybe we'll talk about Anthony Davis being being the best player on the team. But right now, this is still uh, the King, the Kings team going forward. When you when you look at the roster of the Lakers, is there somebody standing out to you that you're expecting to maybe have a better season than than other people are, are, are saying, oh, you know, he might not be a factor like somebody like a Avery Bradley or a Danny Green? Who do you think is is a is an under the radar guy that that could step up and have a big year for the Lakers? Well, you mentioned Avery Bradley, and that's a really interesting one because, uh, you know, obviously known as a defender, but also became uh, a much more accomplished 3 and D type player in being able to knock down the corner three and, and create some offense, but uh, has kind of fallen off the map the, the last couple of seasons as he went from team to team to team. And uh, I, I think it has the potential to still raise his game to his previous level. So that, that would have been one I, I mentioned right off the bat, even if you hadn't have mentioned. The other one uh, I quite like, Danny Green, I think will give you exactly what he's always given, whether it's uh, with San Antonio during his heyday or with the Raptors last year. He's going to provide you with strong wing defense, and, you know, the, the Lakers potentially, I mentioned the Clippers having uh, the ability to uh, defensively just lock guys down. When the Lakers play small and play AD at the five and play LeBron at the four, and you have, uh, you have Danny Green out there at the three, and then say you played Avery Bladley at the one and uh, then fill in anyone else, that potentially has a great defensive upside. You have so much length. And that's what Danny, Danny Green will provide what he's always provided. Uh, one interesting guy to me that I, I think you, you mentioned the lack of athleticism, but someone who is a, a very good athlete and uh, I think Laker fans came to love at the end of last season that potentially could make his way up to the rotation is Alex Caruso. He had a great, great year in the G League. When he did play for the Lakers, I thought he provided uh, both skill and energy and athleticism, which overall they are sorely lacking with some of their, their veteran 
uh, signings. So a guy like Alex Caruso might be an under-the-radar guy who's not in the rotation full-time to begin with, but has uh, definitely a chance at making a contribution. And then the other guy, uh, you know, Laker fans have fawned over as a young guy for the last couple of years is Kyle Kuzma. Now, if Kyle Kuzma improves his defensive ability and his defensive IQ is improved as he's getting older and watching more film and learning from older guys, yet another super long guy that could potentially cover multiple positions uh, who could make a jump. And all guys claim to have improved on their shooting over the off season. But uh, from what I've heard, I was down in Los Angeles earlier in July working with some players and guys mentioned that Kyle Kuzma has been shooting the, uh, shooting the ball unbelievably so far in the off season. Now that doesn't always necessarily translate, but again, a guy I think Laker fans can look to that might be able to take uh, another jump, uh, both from his experience and from the, I think the the experience of potentially being traded 14 times last year as well <laughs> uh, has has taught him a lot about the the pro game in terms of uh, mental toughness and preparation. So Kyle Kuzma is another guy I think that could potentially uh, step up and improve his game to be a big help for this Lakers roster. I, I'm looking at him, and it, the Lakers fans love Kyle Kuzma. I mean, he's he, he's a darling here, and 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 people are so so fond of him, like uh, like you mentioned. But um, when you when you look at him, because you know we were, I was talking about this last week on the pod as well, rotation wise. Uh, I was saying that it, in my opinion, the best starting lineup, and this is considering that all things being considered in terms of uh, health and everybody's ready to go, I would go with LeBron as the quote-unquote one. I mean, he's not going to necessarily be guarding the, the other team's point guard, but put him at the one. Avery Bradley at the two. I would go Danny Green at the three and then start Boogie and, and AD at the, at the big men spots bringing coups off the bench just because I think that gives the Lakers a little bit more pop offensively and and they can you know Frank Vogel doesn't mean that Kuzma won't be on the floor on the floor part of me at the end of the game but just to start the game off bringing him off the bench what would you do with your rotation right now again with your coach's hat on uh, how, how would you structure things and, and stagger the minutes well how I would stagger Kuzma is going to be a uh, a 25 minute a game guy so, you know, whether whether he starts or not, he, he's going to get rotation, solid rotation minutes all of the time. Now, for me, uh, it depends on is, is DeMarcus Cousins healthy? Uh, I'm, I would probably prefer to start a smaller lineup. And, and uh, I, I would start at the beginning of the year anyway, depending on DeMarcus Cousins health. I, I would look at going with Kuzma, AD, and LeBron uh, hmm. along the front line, and then uh, Avery Bradley and Danny Green in the backcourt would be my starting lineup, again, dependent on DeMarcus Cousins' health and what you have decided to play uh, offensively, how you've decided to play. You know, if, if you are truly going to go heavy post up, as Frank Vogel has mentioned, then you know cousins is your starter but uh kuzma kuzma could start with those other guys if you're going for a smaller longer uh lineup with uh premium placed on shooting but uh he, he's going to be like i said he's going to be a 25 minute a game guy minimum 
and uh, we'll we'll be getting solid minutes playing it towards the end of the game. Yeah, he's a, he's he's a hugely important member of this team too, and I think some people have have forgotten about him in terms of what he brings offensively when they're talking about the you know the Lakers and all the movement. But I, I think he'll be hugely important as well. And you mentioned Alice Caruso; it's funny. Some people are talking, oh, him and Rondo can maybe split minutes court at this point over Rondo. Rondo's great in terms of his leadership and, and, and what he brings in terms of knowledge of the game. But I mean, you look at the defensive rating of the team last year with Caruso on the court compared to with uh, with Rondo, and it's not even close. And like you mentioned, the, the defensive end of things and uh, and, and the athleticism, uh, Alex Caruso, uh, I'm expecting some big things from him in terms of being an off-the-bench contributor, hoping he can get, you know, 15 minutes a night and show that he's a regular NBA guy. Uh, we'll wrap up on this, Doug. Friday, ESPN's first take had Melo on with, with Stephen A. Smith, uh, Carmelo Anthony talking about how he, you know, he, he can't, uh, you know, some people are saying, hey, the Lakers do have an open spot. Do you think there's any fit there? Because I'm of the belief that, hey, I, I think Carmelo had a great career. Uh, could probably still come off the bench and score if he, if he wanted to. I, I don't think he's mentally there yet, although he said he has accepted that role. Obviously didn't work in OKC. Clearly didn't work out in Houston a spot for him with the Lakers or and, and if you were in this position w- would you want to have him on the roster well it, you know it's such a multifaceted question is there a place for him on the Lakers roster given that they have uh, 14 guaranteed spots as of right now I would say no they you know they they want to keep that 15th spot for uh, potential buyout market Mm-hmm. Um, I, I doubt they'll be involved in a trade situation, but they're they're keeping that 15th spot for a potential buyout later in the year that can help them heading into the playoffs. So given the roster construction right now, and I'm not talking roster construction in terms of skill or fit or anything like that, roster construction simply from a numbers and a salary cap point of view, um, there's there's not a fit for Mello right now. And that, that may be... Uh, you know, you would imagine that uh, LeBron at some point would have had a conversation with uh, Rob Polinka uh, about the potential of, of bringing Melo in, but it's just not feasible for the Lakers at this time. Now, uh, you know, down towards the end of the year, maybe that's something they consider. Now, is there a fit for him in the NBA? Yes, he, he's still an unbelievably skillful offensive player. But uh, the one thing uh, we've seen with Melo whether it was, uh, and, and I, I have to qualify this by saying I was doing stuff with the Knicks when Melo first came to the Knicks and then in his second year. And um, not that he was ever malicious or caused trouble, but you know he was unwilling to play the four at that point in his career, even uh, after it was shown to him that this would benefit him and the team. Uh, so, in terms of fit that way, that's been the biggest problem over the last couple of seasons. Uh, now, if Mello had taken on a Vince Carter type of attitude and or situation where he was willing to come off the bench, whether he was willing to be a part-time starter, uh, you know, provide scoring, um, provide the veteran intangibles, which people talk about all the time but aren't there all the time, you know, if he'd been willing to adjust his game, I, I think he would be on a roster right now. And uh, very difficult for a player that was at his level and his stature who can still score, uh, but not do a lot of other stuff you're looking for. 
pretty tough to adjust your game. But for him to survive in the type of game the NBA is now at his age, and uh, if he wants to be a contributing member of a squad, he does need to adjust all of those things. And uh, as of right now, he hasn't shown much of a willingness to do that. Yeah, I think for him, it's been it's been more of the of the mental aspect of things, like not being able to to accept the the role that he had, and and it was it was a clunky fit with him, especially in, in OKC. I thought in Houston he he would have a chance, and and like like you mentioned, you worked with the Rockets and you worked with with Mike D'Antoni. Was that the thing? Like just the way he played, his game didn't suit being alongside a James Harden and a Chris Paul. Why why did things go so awry with him with the Rockets, especially? I, I can honestly, I say I have no idea. Hmm. Um, in terms of, I know that he was excellent uh, with the other guys. He was uh, excellent with the coaching staff. And, uh, you know, other than that, I, I truly have no idea as to why it, it didn't work out. Now, obviously, the Rockets got off to a very poor start. They had injury problems, and Carmelo had stepped in and actually uh, offensively done a very good job stepping in so uh you know i'm i i can honestly say i'm clueless in terms of uh, why it didn't work out in houston well clueless you might be on that subject clueless you are not on the rest of the nba doug eberhardt thanks a lot for taking the time out to do this man always fun to talk hoops with with a fellow canadian Oh, my pleasure, Jazz, and uh, all the all the best to the squad down there. I, I will give my shout out to uh, to Harrison just because I can't make fun of him in this situation. Oh, you still can. That's okay. I make fun of him all the time, so <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> all right, Doug. Thanks a lot for doing this, man. All right, Jazz. No problem. All right, that's Doug Eberhardt, as you mentioned, uh, been around the NBA for a long time now, sometimes assistant coach. You can also catch some of his work on Sportsnet 650 and a contributor with uh, SB Nation as well. And don't forget to follow him on Twitter at EBHoops. That's E-B-E Hoops. Uh, don't forget to follow us as well at Lakers SBN. Of course, we got you covered from the meme aspect of things to some serious news and analysis. Uh, dog days of summer coming up in the in the NBA now, but... The Lakers land is always full of drama and always full of news. So don't forget to check us out at silverscreenandroll.com. That does it for this episode. I'll catch you all next time.